0: The podcast Hey Phantomaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and I am out the door. Going to Orlando uh, for the first time in over a decade. We are returning to Universal Studios. We have been to Walt Disney World many times in, in the uh, last twelve or so years, but have not been to Universal Studios. Phantom Junior has never been, and since the last time me and the missus were there, they've created Harry Potter worlds, and a Simpsons world, and a King Kong ride. And we didn't get to go on the Jurassic Park ride last time because uh, Mrs. Troublemaker can't stand uh, getting wet in theme parks. Uh, So me and and Phantom Jr. are going to be all over that one. I'm very, very excited. And I'm also very, very trying to get everything wrapped up, which is why this episode probably posted Tuesday night, definitely posted Tuesday night. Although if you go the traditional route, of getting it from needlessthingspodcast.com then you're getting it on Friday like every other episode of the Needless Things Podcast we're we're up over 200 now so if this is the first one you're hearing and and it may well be because of our exciting guest today Morricone Youth ooh that's right Devin Goldberg from Morricone Youth is on the show it's awesome I'm going to talk more about him in a minute first I'm going to wrap up this Orlando business so I'm really, really excited. Uh, this is something fresh and new for us. Even though it's tour, I love touristy stuff. Like you're not going to get to me by saying, "Oh, you could be going to and looking at some natural canyons or trees or something." I-, I-, I don't care. I want, I want rides. I want crazy architecture. I want fire-breathing dragons, and that's that's what we're headed for. So I'm stoked. Uh, I'm not going to be doing. I'm not working at all. I'm getting everything done on the website for the next 10 days, and uh, I'm not going to be writing. Now, I, I'll be, if you're following me on Instagram as Phantom Turbulmoker, uh I'll be putting up pictures and stuff and, and doing the Facebook thing and whatever, uh, but the, the website is going to have to run itself for a while. So this episode is up now, Tuesday night, but you found it probably on Friday. I want to talk about next week's episode that is also already in the can. That is going to be... Oh, no, wait. Next week's episode is our needless commentary for March, which is no holds barred. It's very, very exciting. That's not what I'm here to put over. March the 23rd, I have another very special interview that I want you to tell your friends about, uh, and I want you to spread the word that Missy Suicide, none other than the lady that started... The Suicide Girls website. Missy Suicide is on the Needless Things podcast. Uh, I am having a crazy stroke of luck here lately with interviews. I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop where somebody's going to call me back at some point and be like, oh, you can't post that, or, or something is going to happen where I just can't talk to people anymore. But uh, between today and the 23rd episode, I am so excited about the progress that is being made. And I talked a little bit about it last week and about how I think, uh, you know, dropping the, the mask and the name have opened some doors for me. And this is another instance where I think maybe if these people, if Devin and Missy had gotten an email from Phantom Troublemaker, uh, we might not have ended up talking. But they got an email from a guy named Dave. Dave. And and it happened. It all happened. And it's here for you now, or at least Devin Goldberg is here for you now. And it's a great interview. I had a great time talking to this guy. Uh, we actually did something that I don't do all that often, When we hung out afterwards and chatted for a while uh, talking about Phantasm. And it, it's it's great. You guys are totally going to enjoy it. I think you should. I'll go ahead and say it now, even though we mentioned it a couple times during the interview. You need to go to com and order some vinyl or some digital downloads or whatever your preferred method of obtaining music is. Myself, I like vinyl when I can get it. And we talk about this a little bit uh, during the interview, but I just like the tactile feel, the experience of vinyl. So, you know, get that if you can. And and it includes a digital download if you get their vinyl from uh, Country Club Records. So that's awesome, right? So there you go. I think that's everything. I've got to wrap this thing up because I still have to pack... We're leaving first thing in the morning, and I haven't packed yet. It's ridiculous, but that's what happens when you have a work schedule like mine. Okay, so to uh, to recap, Orlando, on vacation, MorriconeYouth.com, Missy Suicide, March 23rd. Tell your friends, next week, no holds barred, needless commentary, and celebration of the road to WrestleMania. Okay, so normally... We have some music here, some lovely interstitial music from our pals the Mystery Men, who you can find at mysterymenofsurf.com, or just Google Mystery Men of Surf. But today, since I have a musical guest, I will be playing some Morricone Youth for you guys. Uh, It is from their newest record, which is uh, Morricone Youth mad max it's an original live rescore inspired by george miller's classic 1979 australian dystopian action film you can buy this right now from morconayouth.com this is the record i bought that made me fall in love with these guys uh, before talking to Devin, where i fell in love with them even more so here's a selection from that and if you don't know what a rescore is uh, Devin explains it in the interview, so just hang in there. But here is a selection from that album called Night Rider. Needless Things listeners, I've got a special treat today. Uh, honestly, a miracle has happened because, as you guys know, I often sort of get into new things or get excited about new things when I discover them. And being a podcast host, one of the first things I do is shoot an email or a Facebook message or an Instagram message or whatever and say, hey, come on the show. And nine times out of ten, there's no response. One times out of ten, there's a response. And then, like, one times out of that five – uh, something actually happens this time uh, this interview came together quickly and who I've got right now is uh, Devin Goldberg from all right I, I just went to YouTube and listened to the pronunciation <laughs> because I don't know that I've actually heard his name said aloud Morricone Youth is that close enough
1: it's close enough. Yes.
0: <laughs> the YouTube pronunciation was actually much fancier. There were some rolling R's in there and it was, it was nice, but I, I wasn't going to try and pull that off. How are it you doing, depe-
1: man? Yeah, it depends on how, uh, it depends on how Italian you want to get with it. Mor- Morricone. Morricone, Morricone. There's debates. Morricone, but Morricone I think is incorrect and, and gets dangerously close to, uh, a Spanish slur. So we'll, uh, <laughs> leave it at marconi
0: yeah we'll leave it there that's funny and and when you get into the italian you've it's you you have to be accurate but respectful i had a band named uh on the show and and you know we got to a point where they're like well technically it's calabrese and i was like whoa i can't do that at all (laughs) we'll we'll stick with the we'll stick with the americanization
1: yeah we're definitely americanizing it (laughs)
0: um so here's here's what happened here's how all this came together um have you heard of, there's a, I don't know how big a chain it is. There's a, a franchise or chain of stores or whatever called Second and Charles.
1: Second and Charles. Yes. Mm, uh, not so sure. Do
0: you remember Media Play? Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. basically like Media Play. They've got books and records and toys and musical instruments and video games and like everything. You walk in and it's this like amazing pop culture uh, yard sale and they also carry records and i was going through the record section and i saw the cover of your mad max rescore and just the the cover's beautiful it caught my eye the arts the the art is what got me initially and i was like oh mad max i don't know what this is but it's 10 bucks i'm taking it home uh, brought it home listened to the whole thing and you know it lit up i don't know how old you are i'm 41 years old and i'm finding it harder and harder to get into new music now yes i, I have my <laughs> i have my stable you know and like my time if i'm going to listen to something in general i'm like well i know this is good so i'm going to put this on I'm, I'm turning into an old man yeah but i put this on and it lit up those you know the those parts of my brain i was like wow this is awesome this is amazing I want more of this and I looked you guys up and And step one I ordered the rest of the records you had on the website and step two was I shot you a message and here we are and I've listened to the other records now uh, and this this is what's available and we'll talk about everything that you've done um, but The Night of the Living Dead The Adventures of Prince Ahmed which I was not familiar with and uh, we'll, we'll, I definitely want to talk about that and then uh oh shoot what is the fw Murnau?
1: uh sunrise sunrise uh
0: which ended cool. up even though it was described as fw F. Murnau's silent romantic film and i was like eh, this one may not be the the best <laughs> of them ended up being my favorite one
1: it's a dark romance
0: it's well and now i'm dying to see these movies so so that's that's how we got here. I, I heard the music, and I was like, this is tremendous. i, I got to get into this. And uh, you were kind enough to respond and be like, yeah, man, it sounds like fun. So your record is in a store that you haven't even heard of, which it, to me has got to be a little mind-blowing.
1: Well, we did just play Georgia in no- uh, November.
0: I, with Goblin, right? Yes, Told, so it's not
1: that far fetched.
0: I told a buddy of mine uh, that that I was interviewing you, and he was like, "Oh my gosh, they opened for Goblin. Those guys are awesome." <laughs> so I, I was like, "Oh, there's a there's a frame of reference here. It's all it's all coming together." Yes, and of course there was also that just missed it feeling because I think I was working that night or something. But uh, right, right. But yeah, so awesome! You're on the show. Let's talk about. This first of all how would you describe the music because I was tempted to lump it into sort of the synthwave movement that's going on but I think it's a little more than that
1: Well it depends on which album you're talking about I mean the the project sort of creates itself depending on what film we're doing you know uh, what the the band has morphed into these days the band was formed in, in 1999 Oh wow. And we've been consistent. For most of that time, there was like a two or three year break where I was focusing more on getting a soundtrack radio show off the ground and we were sort of inactive. And when it, the band initially started, it was sort of, a, I guess you would say a side band or party band for all of our other endeavors. And people were in different bands that were kind of their main focus. And we put this together initially just as a fun side thing to do where we would interpret old film music primarily from the 60s 70s and 80s but more in a live rock band club or party setting
0: oh wow that's wild so how
1: yeah and then slowly you know the the gigs for that started getting better for this band than our main bands are just regular inner indie rock or punk rock or jazz bands or whatever we were doing and we were getting more interesting parties and offers and gigs and Opportunities, and it got to the point where you know we had well over 150, maybe 200 reinterpretations of old film music songs uh, to our name, and it got to the point where we started to morph out into doing our own original music, kind of influenced by all these covers we've we've worked on over the years, and then from there, sort of the natural progression was doing live scoring over the last six or seven years for. Initially silent films and then it started getting into midnight movies so now it's more or less a combo and we've done 15 films. I think 5 were, 5 are, uh, silent films where they're completely all original music that we've created and 10 would be mid, categorized more as more recent midnight movies from the 60s, 70s, 80s and out of that 10, I think 8 is all original music or Mostly original music with a combo we, all, we often like to try to reinterpret Some of the original music If there's something there that we really love And don't think we're going to do a better job at <laughs> You know yeah. So what you may have heard You said Mad Max is the first one So that one is definitely Synth heavy And not only synth heavy But we made, we made a conscious effort To use all analog synths On that so everything you hear is actually from an original synth or keyboard. Uh, primarily, most of them were, are maintained by a great keyboardist here in New York City named Joe McGinty, which may be most well known as a uh, uh, keyboardist for Psychedelic Furs for a number of years, okay. a number of their albums. And he maintains one of, the, one of the best collections in New York, at least that I'm aware of. I'm sure there's some crazy collectors out there, but it, that are you know he has a studio and he um he lets you play his well maintained keyboards if you if you're working out of the studio and uh, and we know him through through the music world around here so what you hear is actual analog keys and sense on that recording and and virtually we 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 recorded whether or not it ended up on that that record as an overdub or something every working keyboard that's in that studio at the time you know we tracked it live and then we added as a band and then we added keyboard upon keyboard upon keyboard so it's definitely synth wave as you say i guess <laughs>
0: <laughs> now what is on these it's live rescore. so what right. what what exactly does that entail because in my head i'm picturing and this this is you know how you see a phrase that you're not Quite familiar with, I'm picturing you guys like with the movie playing or whatever, uh, just sort of trying to put stuff together for it. But obviously, I mean, there's got to be a writing process with this stuff.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's maybe confusing, but it's becoming a little bit more common. I'm seeing in, in Los Angeles and in New York and I think Portland, I'm seeing a lot of events where a band will actually set up in the front of a movie theater facing the screen. Or if they're not facing it, they have a monitor in front of them so they can see what's going on. Sure. And and the music is, I mean, the dialogue and, and the sound is, is theoretically either muted or somehow that's a bigger event where you got the, the film studio involved where the music may be stripped out and there is actual dialogue, and the band is playing along to the film. That, I would call that a live score. We call it a live rescore because... We're not simply, in most instances, recreating the original music for Mad Max. We're not doing the Brian May right. soundtrack. Right. Where instead, we, we kind of reimagine that soundtrack in our own mind and created our own music for it. And that's what you hear on the, the record. And if you saw us live, basically the, the record are the highlights. So it's the... 10 or so main themes that, that we perform, but it's a 90 minute film. It's a, you know, 40 minute record. So obviously these things come back in variation and there's some additional stuff that didn't make the record that's, uh, you know, more underscore sounding drony and and things like that. But, um, and we actually, in the film, we actually do the bar, we reinterpret the bar scene with a live singer and kind of do the reverse Idea of lip syncing, like reverse lip syncing, <laughs> um, cause she's actually singing the parts. But, um, yeah, we kind of treat it like the old, the way that in the olden days where you would have one, like a, an organist or a pianist. Right, right. For the silent films. And sometimes they'd have extra, a horn player, extra person here or there. Well, we have a full complete, uh, what you describe as a rock band, I guess, guitar, bass, drums, multiple keyboardists and often horns or strings, depending on. The gig, <laughs> you know, the film and the gig, what it, what it calls for. Mad Max, uh, is more or less similar to what our setup was for Goblin when we opened for them. Mm-hmm. And we actually played some of those, those tunes, uh, at, for, for Goblin, opening for Goblin with the visuals from certain scenes from Mad Max, kind of like a abbreviated version of the live score. And so it had all the musicians except for it didn't have the singer, and we didn't have a horn, any horn players for that. It was just a, as a, we toured as a five-piece, scaled down. Is it
0: tough to figure out which selections you you want to tour? Like when you've when you've got to sort of pick a for for lack of a better term, greatest hits.
1: Yeah, it's horrible because you you know a lot of a lot of us are writing and we're all trying to get our songs in, and and you know we're we're really working from fifteen. Movies worth of material that we've written over the last six or seven years. Uh, we'd love to do covers too. I mean, I would love to throw in some Italian horror covers because we're with Goblin, but there's just absolutely no time for it if we're going to actually get our music in. We had to sort of break it down to the albums that are out now versus some of the back catalog, you know, because we actually had, we're touring around with the vinyl and everything and we want people to be able to take it home if they're into it. So we really focused on really the four records you you have now. Those four Ahmed, Mad Max, Night Living Dead, and Sunrise. But it was because it was Goblin, we were on the heavier side, so we were we were doing mostly Night Living Dead and Mad Max with a couple of the other tracks thrown in. Right,
0: you're you're anticipating your audience.
1: <laughs> yeah. Not knowing you know, we you never know what to expect when you go on, out on tour, especially a band like Goblin that has you know, these these rabid fans and you sort of expect the worst that yeah, they're going to show up for the last ten minutes of our set, you know, as they're getting their beer and trying to get positioned to the front of the stage for Goblin to get on but we found the exact opposite where their people were really there for the whole night and they would show up you know, before our set and they're all sort of lined up and people watching us and and staying there and then, you know, sold way more records than we anticipated. We even had to have a friend bring some more records up for us because uh, we were sort of expecting not that sort of response, but, yeah, they they were a very uh excited fan base, you know, and, and open to not just their, the band that they're coming to see as the headliners. You know, they were receptive to us and made a lot of Great friends on on the road, and, and including in uh, down there in in Atlanta, you know, people from Athens that came up too.
0: Well, I think for the show. I think when you're looking at uh, I, I, the style of music that Goblin plays, I think you're looking at sort of more intellectual audiophile. Like it, it's not like a Metallica show where you know, like, bring on Metallica, shut up, just put Metallica on. I I think and especially in this day and age where somebody can look at and look you guys up and be aware of you prior to the show you know you probably had a lot of people that that were aware of you going in just because now we have the convenience of the internet to where you know any music you see you can pretty much hunt down and listen to pretty quickly
1: yeah i think there's a lot of that people just thinking that anybody is going to be open, opening for goblin is going to be somewhat in the realm of what they do right right, and so I think there was a bit of that people that were i mean when the, when the tour was even announced, I noticed that uh you know random record sales were record orders you know mail orders were were coming up or internet orders were coming up from a lot of the areas where we were going to be hitting, so I think there were some people that were you know prepping (laughs) yeah
0: yeah getting on it getting on it and then it's great it's 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 one of the advantages of of the way you know music distribution is now and how accessible everything is and by the way for the listeners um if you want to check any of this out uh moriconayouth.com uh go check it out you can see everything that's available there and i I encourage everyone to to go pick up at least uh, a record but you guys have bundles as well which is how i got uh the ones (laughs) that i didn't get from the store
1: yeah so, yeah, we'll give you a break if you buy uh, more than one. Yeah, we also have shirts. I need to get the link because we, we did a round of shirts and I Living Dead inspired shirts for the Goblin Tour and there's some left over from that. And then we also just amazingly were asked by the Sydney Festival in Sydney, Australia to come out last month and do, it's their summer there and uh perform not only nine living dead but the uh, the main event was the second night and that was uh the Mad Max an actual original oh, oh, I met a couple original cast members and actually hung out with them at their uh house in Bondi Beach the next day oh
0: my gosh <laughs> that's crazy
1: kundalini and johnny the boy whoa the original characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's wild. How? So how? How does?
0: Uh, how does that happen? When you know you're you're online, you're visible. Um, you're you're in the music world, but what does that? Pro- you know, when somebody contacts you like that, because you guys, the you know, how many people do you take on the road?
1: Uh, it depends again on what we're doing. That was six people. So you can gotta, be anywhere get... from five to seven, eight. Nine people. It just really depends on the gig and what we're doing exactly.
0: So you get this offer and you have to get six people's schedules lined up to leave the country. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) Australia has a lot of strange regulations, immigration and tax wise and yeah, it's not a, it was six months in the making. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, you yeah. Know, I, it's funny. Big to- event,
1: too. I mean, like six, it's, uh hundred one night and 700 people the, the next night. Oh, that's awesome. Watching a movie together.
0: That's so great, <laughs> man. Oh, uh, but, you know, people say herding cats, and, and I always laugh at that because it's much harder to herd people.
1: Yeah, it's, it's the worst part of the process, for sure, scheduling.
0: So for, for you personally, what, what is your musical background? When did you decide that music was going to be such a big part of your life?
1: Well, that's a long and loaded question. but <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> Great,
0: we love those.
1: Well, I, I started, I mean, I, I was, I've been playing music my whole life as a kid, and I don't necessarily come from a musical family, but for whatever reason, I wanted to play piano at a young age and took lessons, and then I realized that I liked all this hard rock music that was coming out, and I wanted to play a tougher instrument, a cooler instrument, so switched to guitar, and uh, then discovered punk rock at one point. So back in the, I guess you would say the early to mid-80s, the mid-80s, on the earlier side of the decade, uh, formed a band, a hardcore band out west, out in Las Vegas, and we, the bass player of Morricone Youth is actually the bass player from that day, we're still playing together since we were kids, 7th, 8th grade, and we we were so young, and we got opportunities to open up with just, you know, amazing bands, TSOL, Corrosion and Conformity, Asexuals from Canada, um, No Effects, when they were nobody, uh, when we, we were basically kids. So it sort, started there, and then you sort of grow out of a certain type of music. And I ended up down in California in San Diego, played a number of bands there. And I think my main, most notable band there was a band called Creedle that was on Headhunter Cargo Records. We are label mates and friends and played a lot with the Rocket from the Crypt and Drive Like Jehu type bands. Okay, okay. Rob Crow from Pinback's old band, Heavy Vegetable. were friends and label mates. Paul Jenkins from, uh, now he's Black Heart Procession, but back then was Three Mile Pilot. So I was out there for 11, 12 years, slugging it away, and ended up in New York in the late 90s and doing a lot of other things, but uh, other bands, less less notably, and just sort of in 1999, late 1999, we just sort of, uh, as a, to do an opening gig I think that band couldn't do it and we said it would be fun to just do some some wacky Inyo Morricone covers and John Barry Jerry Goldsmith Lalo Schifrin covers and we threw it together and that gig led to another which led to another and here we are
0: (laughs) now are you when you talk about doing uh, the the covers of of pieces from scores what is your because you're not doing you know, I imagine you're not doing a straight cover. You've, you've. There's got to be some adaptation for the.
1: Right. Uh,
0: you know, it's not a rock cover, but you know, you know what I mean. It's, it's like a different style of music from the original score. What, what's the process that goes into that? Like, because I imagine that's a whole different type of creativity than, than just creating songs.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it just depends on what it is and what's the reason for it. You know, for instance, we're gearing up to record our fifth in this series we have a we have the we have two others in the work as works as well that are silent films but the next one is is danger diabolic
0: oh my gosh get out of here yeah oh dude i that excites (laughs) me so much oh my gosh
1: so yeah you got to look at a film like that and say well and we've we've performed it live but it's been a few years and now i really just want to get it recorded and 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 make that kind of the next album, but of course, there's super iconic tunes on there songs on there that yes. um, we would be doing a disservice if we just you know muted them and did our own uh, our own song, obviously deep down yes yes the the uh under the underwater fight scene music is really great and iconic, at least in my mind, there's the chase theme. That happens throughout. Yeah. We're doing all of those. Oh, we so we have to figure out how to recreate it. And of course, you know, there's amazing singer on vocalist on that. So we're not going to just uh you know, t- take a stab with our voices. right? <laughs> you know, especially right. for like you know, it's mostly everybody but one person I think is male and that's obviously I don't know if it's Edadel or so or Christy. The singer, the Italian singers, but um, you know they're at the same vocal ranges as a uh, Shirley Bassey, like Goldfinger singer. You know, Mm -hmm. so we have somebody that that is up for the task. Well, you've worked with some like that. You've
0: got some uh, some tracks on the on what I have. You've you've got there's some female vocals in there that are just beautiful. Um, when you find a need for that, what what's your What's your recruiting process, or I guess your your audition <laughs> process?
1: It's a combo of word of mouth and uh, yeah, and trying to find the best person we can. But I mean, we we have we work with a lot of different people that aren't maybe on every gig. They're ancillary members and and are into the project, but they have their own things going on. So fortunately, uh, the person that's on—I think you're probably referring to that last sunrise record, Sun, uh, which is Sammy Stevens. For the most part there's actually three different singers on that record okay but uh, the the uh the big high notes <laughs> in a couple of those songs it'll be the same person that, that's on the danger diabolic record okay cool gonna start recording later this month
0: man i can't even tell you that that's so exciting i've, I've got a one sheet upstairs uh i've got the vhs i've got the dvd i i freaking love that movie that every minute of that movie is just iconic <laughs> awesomeness that's great
1: yeah, we're the same way and we're big fans of Mario Bava and 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 the music and everything else. So
0: That's there's a uh one one of the big things that we do on Needless Things, uh we cover a lot of toy news and stuff. Right. And uh last year at one of the conventions uh, a company called Mezco revealed a diabolic action figure. Nice. And it's part of a line of really, like they're all superheroes and comic book characters and whatever and all of my friends are like why are you so excited about the guy that's just in all black? And I was like you don't understand. <laughs> There's a freaking American release figure coming out it's 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 insane. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. I'm
1: not even yeah, I'm not even that big like I'm not really a toy collector or anything like that but or action figure collector but I w- I would love that. It's, uh, if, <laughs>
0: if you, uh, if you look up Mezco Diabolic, you'll, it, it'll pop up the image, I'm sure. And it's, yeah. it's gorgeous and it's supposed to come out later this year. But anyway, we're not here to talk about toys. We're here to talk about music. <laughs> um, so Diabolic coming up next. That's, I'm so excited about that. Uh,
1: yeah, but, he's the, he's the Italian Batman.
0: Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Cause he's, he's, he's that, uh, the, the themes of robin hood themes of james bond themes of batman themes i mean it's it's all uh love it okay so uh music wise how do you go about you know in in new york i never even been to new york it, in my mind new york is is this amazing cultural smorgasbord of music and comedy and art and everything else when you decide okay we we want to start Playing this specific kind of music. What is the process up there? Cause I, you know, I know what it's like here in Atlanta to try and book shows, but what, what is it like up there to find a venue and a community and, and places to do what you want to do?
1: It takes a while. I mean, unfortunately, uh, y- you know, it may be a lot easier to get something like this going in a, a smaller, a smaller town or city, but, um, you know where you do it and then word of mouth very quickly catches on and your next show you see a natural growth if you're you know you're if you're doing things right new york's one of those weird places where there's just so much going on every night there's so many different areas there's so many venues there's so many people that you're almost going from gig to gig you can have the greatest gig of your life and then the next one think you're going to build upon that and uh, and you know it's crickets Ugh. but um <laughs> but you know but the I guess the trade off is that you do have access to just amazing people, whether they're artistic people helping you out in in the background, helping you with video or helping you with um album art or flyer art. you have access to some some crazy people like that, as well as musicians so if if say the danger diabolic one needs somebody that can really belt a song out like uh uh, Shirley bassey esque or Etta Del Orso, who's the, you know, the, uh, the Morricone singer on a lot of that original music. Uh, you can find somebody that's act not only can maybe do it, but may actually be, really be into that.
0: Right, and, and, right. And know
1: a bunch of things that you don't know about and vice versa, you know. So, I mean, I remember coming here in the late 90s and I had all these bands that I was really into and, I thought only I knew and then you get here and you sort of realize, oh, that's like the starting point. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is, this is a little bit pre internet or when the internet is just sort of getting to the point where you, uh, you know, you can discover all these things online, but, uh, everything's suddenly not, not all that precious, but now, nowadays it doesn't really matter because now everybody knows about everything because, because of the million blogs and everything out there and instant downloadability which is, of, the, of this music. It's which is, good and bad.
0: Yeah, it's... I, I was discussing this with somebody the other day. Um, I, I like that you can basically find whatever you want, but at the same time, I feel like we're losing a common language because, like, in the 80s, uh, I, I have to sort of put myself in my parents' shoes. In the 80s, they knew who boy George and Whitney Houston and George Michael and Michael like they knew who everybody was cuz everybody knew who everybody was. We were we were all listening to the same radio, we were all watching the same MTV or TV or whatever. And even if we didn't love all that stuff, we all knew it. And now as a parent, I have no idea what's top 40. Right. I have no idea what's mainstream. I don't know what the big bands are. I see I see so and so did the soundtrack for this movie and I'm like, I have no idea who the fuck that is. Yeah. Because we don't we've lost that uh we've lost that common ground because everything is so niche now, which is, you know, it's not entirely negative, but it's not entirely positive either.
1: Right. It's it, I always wonder like if you were just growing up now, uh, you know, as as a teenager, um, well, I, I just was sort of wonder if you would wear out the grooves as, as it used to do on records, right? Or the way we used to, where there's just these things that you you were, you found you were attached to, you play them over and over and over, almost to the point that you're going to have to get another copy. I'm sure there's not that anymore. You just go download another MP3, or you're not going to ruin an MP3, but I'm, I wonder I'm, if there's that same sort of attachment to the music. Well, I'm going to I'm going to
0: go ahead and designate this uh, a few brief minutes of old man grump time. Yeah. Where I'm going to say <laughs> I don't think these kids have time to fall in love with anything anymore. Because right. exactly what you're saying, like, you know, before an album would come out and it would be relevant for like 3 years. And you'd have two or three big songs that were on the radio or whatever. Movies would go to the theater and they'd be there for like eight months. And and you had time to digest them and really appreciate them. And they were part of your, they were part of the zeitgeist, you know, for a long time. Now, if, if stuff doesn't make it in a weekend, it's gone.
1: Oh yeah.
0: And, and it's the same thing
1: with a band on a label. Like you're just your second record's not coming out. <laughs>
0: right, right. Uh, it's, it's uh, and you know, be, because I'm old and cranky, this all seems negative to me, but it's just how the world is now and it'll evolve and move on and, you know, my my son's kids will be, you know, buying one album a year and raging against whatever machine exists at that point, so. Right. Who, who knows?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and there's always these trends Used to, to be retro, that come back and cycles. So at some point, I mean, it's just like right now with the vinyl craze. Still, it's a little bit of a niche market. Not, to, you know, the average person is like getting a going out and getting a new turntable and 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 going and buying vinyl. But but it is something that you can't you can't say it didn't come back in a very big way. It's
0: well, it's big you know, enough that you can walk into, you know, Best Buy or Barnes and Noble or whatever and buy yourself a turntable and a bunch of records. I mean it's the presence is enough that I think people are, are finding an appreciation for you know, I I love putting and I'm I'm not I'm not the audiophile guy. I'm not the guy who can sit down and listen to a stereo system and be like, Oh well this was you know, this has this level of, of depth and what. I, I'm not that guy. But right. I like getting up Putting a record on, hearing that first track, getting through the first side, and and I miss the days because I grew up with records and because my first record was it was either Minute Work Cargo or Michael Jackson's Thriller. I don't know which, uh, but I grew up with records and cassettes where it used to be an important part of the album was that midpoint, the first song of the second side. Like oh yeah. That was an important thing when I was growing up because that, that had to hook you back in. And now, uh, it, I, to me, it's noticeably absent from, from releases of the last decade or so that it's just kind of albums tend to be sort of a wall of, of sound and that, you know, they, they can still be great, but I, I miss that, that middle where it picks, it kicks back in because they're like, it's side two. We got to keep going.
1: Yeah, also side two, it, it forces you to get up and and be active with the medium, right? You have to get up and flip the record. Yes. Otherwise, it's going to just sit there and uh be in a uh, sort of, what do you call it, a, a loop, a sort of uh, skip back until you get up off the couch or whatever you're doing and go and deal with it. So it makes you sort of reinvest your... Your energy and your focus on it when you put it back on, and, and people often say like, "Oh, the hit or the best song is often the the third song." Maybe that's because you put the record on, and by the time you get situated and sit down and start focusing on it, it's when the third track kicks in. Yeah, you know, back in the day, but I don't know. But there must be a whole new if all these people are buying vinyl and buying turntables, then there must be a new generation of people that are going to grow up with it. You know, maybe their kids. Yeah, Mom and I've, dad have this crazy thing that the, the kids like to play with.
0: I've, cause it's I've just tried, weird. <laughs> I've tried to, uh, like when we go to the record store or, or, or a store with records, cause there aren't, there aren't a whole heck of a lot of just record stores, but you know, I always make a point of, of getting my son to flip through what's there and see if anything catches his eye. Uh, when we get home, I'll, you know, he'll, he picks out like, what are we going to listen to first? Okay, cool. And I just, I remember the first time he, you know, when I first started sort of getting into this again, uh the first time he saw an actual record, his eyes were just huge he was like, "What is that?" Oh
1: yeah, <laughs> it was yes. the... some some kids just eat it up and some just have no use for it,
0: yeah, yeah <laughs> and and you never know you know it's you don't know which one your kid is gonna be, and whatever it is, you just gotta deal with it and move on. But but fortunately he's he's pretty into it he he's digging the music well let's get um let's get back to your music uh so you you get a foothold in New York you you get I'm guessing you get a pretty good you know you've got to have some kind of following to be able to continue to book venues or is it just a matter of we're gonna take a gig where we can get a gig we know we want to do this thing let's find a place to do it
1: yeah so it's a combination i mean certain it's i mean we're kind of at the luxury now where we get the calls and and kind of figure out what we want to do but on the side where we're actively trying to set something up we work very uh we work closely with uh a theater in Waynesburg called Nighthawk cinema mm-hmm. and uh that with their owner and their their programmers there there's two or three of them who are really big on trying to do this live score thing. And so we've worked closely with them to the extent of what's a good movie to do? What's one that maybe will benefit from having a live band on it? Or what's one that we, we think you instrumentally could could recreate in a, in a way that would heighten, heighten the film um, in a way that you know makes it more you know even if it's something that they've seen a million times um, that it would be kind of a different viewing experience for them or you know what what would um what's a film that that was a great film but for some reason uh it's missing something and music can actually enhance some of the like the slower scenes because there wasn't music in them and so we just go, go back and throw ideas at each other and to the extent that we even have, have cut scenes, uh, you know, worked with it where we take like the best scenes, like one, one for instance I'm thinking of as an old really obscure 1974 television series in Australia called, uh, in- Inner Space. It's sort of like a Jacques Cousteau underwater documentary series. Okay. About, you know, going underwater and filming great white sharks and, and electric eels and, and et cetera, you know. But it was strangely narrated by William Shatner. <laughs> and, and the director-producers were a uh, husband-wife, scuba, underwater diving couple who went on from that TV series to actually... Uh, some of the sequences, I think, were used for Jaws, and they went on to have a whole career in Hollywood working on Orca and Blue Lagoon and whatnot. Anyways, obscure thing. Nobody, not that many people know about Very Nitschie, but an incredible original music and beautifully shot. And we took the 12 episodes and worked closely with the theater to find our favorite 12 episodes to create 90 minutes worth of, of, of footage from it. And then we go back and rescore it's a, it's a hybrid one where we have, some covers of the original music. It's a, it's a great composer, little known composer named S- Sven Liebig, who did the original music. Maybe most widely known recently because some of that music was repurposed for Wes Anderson's Life Aquatic. Oh, okay, okay. Some of the, the do, there's a documentary sequence in that film and a lot of that music was used for that documentary. Anyway, it's really obscure stuff, but it's just something we're kind of really into and passionate about. The idea Came for that initially from with one of the directors there, John Woods at Nighthawk, and he knew I was a, a, a huge fan of that music. And I, I truthfully at the time hadn't even seen the series, so he let me borrow his DVD box set of it, and I spent a week going through it all, and just I was really into it. Into the, throughout the idea, well, why don't we just take some of the best scenes and compile them and, and do this. Got permission and did it. <laughs> and then perform live to it. Again, the problem with that though, that you learn, is nobody, if you do something that's a little bit too obscure, it's harder to get people out.
0: Right. You know, right. you do
1: Night Living Dead, Mad Max, it's guaranteed sell out. And um, you do something like Inner Space, it's a little bit harder sell, and you gotta get more active on promoting it. And but that's,
0: to me that you've you know you're not just creating this this wonderful music you've also sort of taken on this other role as as an ambassador of cool culture because like with with me you know I I heard you guys and and was like okay I'm going to buy anything that I can buy and now adventures of prince ahmed and sunrise are films that I'm going to have to hunt down and check out because of the work you've done are are you cognizant of of sort of your role in that way?
1: Well, I I mean I, I would like to think that I'm turning on people to things that we we really enjoy and they're not you know, I it, it's sort of a waste of time to try to to make people go back and look at something that uh that uh, everybody all already knows unless there's some angle to it. you know? Sure, sure. So like, for instance, Night Living Dead, there's so many zombie movies and TV shows and everything right now. Zombies are probably bigger than they've ever been. And with Night Living Dead, it was just sort of, why don't we go back to where, you know, the modern day zombie starts. Obviously, there were zombies before Night Living Dead in film and literature, but... That's kind of where the modern zombie starts, where people, you know, they don't even call it a zombie in the movie. Right. Um, So, and yeah, people my age and your age and older have probably all seen Night Living Dead, but there's a whole generation of just people getting into this through The Walking Dead or whatever, or, um, you know, the latest zombie movie that's uh, in the theaters. So, that's an idea with that. I mean, with Mad Max, there's a similar thing too, which is, um, I think most people think of, you know, we start, we went down the Mad Max path before Fury Road came out, and, you know, myself, at, at, at my age, I think I might be a little bit older than you, I got into Mad Max in, uh, you know, the 80s, and, uh, primarily, I think, because I, oh, I heard that there's this, this film that's in theaters right now, that, um, there's like punk rockers in it. There's guys with mohawks. They're, they wear leather motorcycle jackets. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. They cause chaos. Well, what I realize now is that my first Mad Max experience was actually Road Warrior, not Mad Max from 1979, the original one. And I think a lot. And what I'm finding is a lot of people are the same way. When they go, oh yeah, I love Mad Max, and then they actually go to see us do it, they realize, oh, I was thinking of Road Warrior.
0: It's it's funny you say that because my my first Mad Max was my mom took me to see Beyond Thunderdome.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: and then I saw Road Warrior on, you know, Showtime or HBO or whatever. I didn't even see Mad Max, like the original Mad Max, until I was at least in my late teens.
1: Right. Yeah, a lot of people think they've seen it and they see it and they go, I, I actually never saw this, but I thought I did.
0: Right, right. Because it's such a part of the culture, you know we've we've been we've all grown up with those images, with the images of Mel Gibson and the black leather, and it's one of those things that I think we all just kind of have certain assumptions about. But even having seen the first Mad Max, I think if you haven't seen it in a while you go back and watch it, it's it's still kind of a
1: shocking movie. Yeah, definitely. It's it's dark. It's it's really. Uh, I mean, there's it, part two to that as well. Uh, George Miller, the director, has is, is always stated in interviews, even dating back to that time, and I think this is a very director kind of thing to say, like it's, Sergio Leone used to say it about his westerns, that he, that he, George Miller claims that he conceived the original Mad Max as a silent film, and that the images, you know, really speak for themselves and that the dialogue and the sound effects from the cars and the motorcycles is really just sort of uh, a bonus cherry on top, you know? That really, he conceived it as silent film. And whether whether or not he really is truthful with that or he really meant it, I mean, that's kind of a thing you say. Yeah. But we kind of wanted to take it to task, (laughs) take him to task, that, that, okay, well, let's do it. Let's see how it looks as a silent film. There's actually... You hear the light when we do it. You hear the the MGM lion roar twice, and then the sounds muted, and then the subtitles are up. And we are really concerned and worried that people are going to like. Maybe we should try to have some sound effects coming into the cars and stuff. Is that going to be distracting and take people out of the the movie? But I I don't see people complaining about it or walking out or anything like that. So um, I, I think it worked. I think that later the dialogue. Like in Road Warrior and some of the other ones, you know, there's a lot of little buzzwords and and stuff that came out of out of those. But anyways, I guess long story long is that uh you know, we're trying to to expose some of these things that people think they've seen and haven't seen. I mean F. W. Murnau, his his film Sunrise, is a little bit lesser known. If you were if you went to film school you've more or less have seen that film. Um, not that, and I haven't gone to film school. Uh, I'm a music guy, but uh, it's a beautiful movie. And what's interesting about it, Murnau is the guy that did Faust, and he's most known for Nosferatu mm-hmm. back in the 20s. And Sunrise is his first American film, you know, released by, produced by Fox. And Murnau is German uh, director, you know. So he, this is his first American film. It won awards in the very first Oscar Awards in 19... 19- twenty seven, twenty eight, whenever they were held. Um, it's just kind of just an amazing film. I, I don't even think Murnaud actually got to see it by the time it came out. He had unfortunately passed away, I think, in a car accident. And then, you know, the talkies came in right after that time. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's a film or see, and I suggest seeing it on a big big screen. Preferably with us performing live to it. But- <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well but if not uh, even by itself, I mean rather than watching it on a laptop or a, a phone by all means oh it would i be can't i to see it I'm, <laughs> I'm not
0: there i i i can't uh i you know I still for the most part don't even care for downloading music I'd rather go buy it somewhere if I can, but I definitely can't watch movies on my phone i'm i'm uh, I'm far too grumpy old man for that. I need a I need a nice big screen.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, Sunrise is actually a good date movie. Take a, we we actually did it for uh, Valentine's Day at Nighthawk just oh, a couple weeks nice. ago. So, so, are there
0: any are there any projects that have sort of ended up being when you go into something? Do you have a pretty good idea of okay? I, I we kind of feel like we're going to have this to work with. The end product is probably going to be like this. Have there been any things that have really thrown you a curveball, and that have, have turned into something different than, than what you expected?
1: Well, I mean, I think a lot of these have, I mean, when we, when we did these, we didn't, when we started off doing these, it's just because a theater asked us, Hey, would you be interested in, doing uh, live scoring this and then we look at each one differently are we going to copy it are we going to create our own music are we going to do a hybrid what instrumentation do we need and then one thing sort of leads to the other and it's now we now we're looking at all of these if we're to take on a new one is is it going to be listenable as a as a record when we take the highlights of it you know like i don't know if we we've done so many of these and if you think about it they're they're anywhere from 75 to 90 100 minutes long. So if we're writing original music to that, at best, I mean at worst, it's 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 almost a full records worth of material, not counting all the variations that you do on each 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 song. Um, so it's a huge commitment. So if we've done 15 of those, we have 15 records that that we theoretically can can record. So if we're going to add on to that before I actually can record them, I have to look at it like, is this special enough that we're going to want to invest the time in writing all the music and in recording it and going out and promoting that recording by trying to do it in other places than just Williamsburg, Brooklyn?
0: Right. There's got to be a certain amount of love for the project for to to put all of that into it.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, to answer that question, too, I mean, something that took a turn was, Oh, yeah, maybe we'll do Inner Space, the one I was telling you about, the underwater mm-hmm. Australian TV show. And that took an incredible amount of work. And then we realized, we have to get a William Shatner. How can you not have, of all things, <laughs> of like what's maybe selling that TV show is the the bizarreness of the fact that they somehow got William Shatner to do the the, <laughs> right.
0: the narration for this
1: right. whole 12-episode TV show. So we had to get our friend who does like voiceover work and, cause there was no way to cancel out, have the dialogue without the music from that film, you know, in the theater. So I had to sit there and transcribe, once we decided on the film, or the actual scenes, I had to transcribe all of William Shatner's dialogue for our buddy that was going to sit in the audience with the microphone and read it. And you know, impersonating William Shatner.
0: Oh my gosh, that's awesome. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> so that one definitely took a left turn when we originally <laughs> took it on, thinking at the end we're just sort of thinking, this is missing something, and I think everybody agreed that it was missing William Shatner.
0: I I mean honestly, I, I think most things are missing William Shatner. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh my, well, man,
1: my, I guess that would be my dream. Um to, if we ever could get that, like, for instance, coming back from the Sydney Festival, and, you know, it's Australian, and Sin LeBayek is based out there. I actually interviewed him a few weeks ago for the second time from I Have a Radio Show. Um and so he knows that we're doing this, and, but I would love to take it out there, maybe get some of the original people involved if they're still alive. Oh, this man. is 74. You know, and then, of course, if you could get William Shatner to do it, I think that's, that's, uh, unlikely, but, uh, but really go hard on trying to find a, a William Shatner impersonator. I don't know; could be a ama- <laughs> Could be amazing, man. But it oh. could be ten people there in the audience. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but but as long as you're recording, it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, man. Uh, before we wrap it up, where can we find you online? What are you up to? Put over the radio show. Anything you want to plug? Get it out there for the listeners. What do you got?
1: Well. I guess go to MoriconeYouth That's M O R R I C O N E. Y O U T H Yeah, you can uh get uh, records and stuff there. Also, I mean Light in the Attic out of Seattle, they they distribute for us worldwide, so finer record stores should have it. It's not uh and it's also you can find things online. Digitally it's available too. Uh, like the Amazons and iTunes and whatnot.
0: Oh, and it's worth um, noting that if you buy the vinyl, they do include the digital download code. Right. Which is tremendous because not all vinyl does, and it drives me nuts.
1: And some of the vinyl, depending on what pressing uh, uh, is still available, are on colored, with nice, pretty colored vinyls as well.
0: Yes, the Mad Max is gorgeous.
1: Right. Yeah, you have the gold black swirl, I think.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, okay. it's, is it golden black or is it golden like red? I think it might be, I don't know, but it's beautiful, yeah. whatever it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's that. I also, I'm well into my 10th year of doing a weekly producing, hosting, uh, a, a film, film and TV soundtrack show called Morricone Island. So, uh, and that's on WFMU. It's 91.1 FM here in New York City, New Jersey, but, uh, it's available all around the world on WFMU.org. It's the oldest continuously running freeform radio station in the country. It's not affiliated with a, with a college or anything like that. It's all listener funded radio station that uh, is in its 60th year oh, since wow. 1958. It's a really odd place. There's a documentary on WFMU out there for free viewing on Amazon Prime and Netflix the history of the station, all the crazy DJs that have come out of there over the years and people that have been on the show But so I'm lucky enough to have a one hour show Tuesday night, 7 to 8pm Eastern Time uh, playing as I say, the soundtrack hits from the past, present and future and it used to be a show, because I'm an avid record collector, primarily these days, of soundtracks but uh, but it's sort of morphed into the last four or five years, uh, being a hybrid of that, and also me interviewing some of my my heroes over the years, including Angelo um, uh Erman Schmidt from Cannes, the guys from Goblin before I got the tour with them, Fabio Fritzi, uh, Lalo Schifrin, did I say Lalo Schifrin? <laughs> You know, he's one of my all-time heroes just as much as Inio Marconi is. I'm all, I'm working my way to Inio Marconi at one point oh, to man. Inter- interview him, but it, it hasn't happened yet, but I've been trying.
0: That's got to be the one, you know.
1: <laughs> I did interview his, his old pal, Alessandro Alessandroni, who most people don't know the name, but they definitely have heard him. He's the whistler and the guitarist on some of those original Spaghetti Westerns. Oh, okay, wow who just unfortunately passed last year, but uh, I fortunately did get to interview him oh, that's cool. before that happened. So so I think that's it as far as, you know, more records in the works. We're trying to get through all 15, but it's, it's taking longer than we had hoped. There's three more now coming out that, uh, in various stages, but I'm expecting them kind of later in the year.
0: It's time, man. The, the, <laughs> the older you get, the more life moves on. It gets harder and harder to schedule people to do stuff. It's, it's the worst. I know.
1: <laughs> Thank stuff. you
0: so much for making time in your schedule to come on the show. Um had an awesome time talking to you, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Yes, thanks so much. I'll let you know if we uh, make it back down to Georgia soon. We're hoping this summer to, to do a few. I, I don't think it's going to be a full U.S. tour. We'll do like a week or two east coast, south, And then the West Coast. We're hoping to do kind of three different weeks, three or four different weeks. Oh,
0: awesome! Yeah. So maybe we'll
1: get back down to some of those places, and ideally where we can find venues, do the live scoring thing versus the the club set, the the best.
0: Well, either way, uh, yeah, I'll keep an eye out. I'll I'll take vacation for that one, man.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
0: Awesome. Thanks a lot, man.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: Morricone morriconeyouth.com m-o-r-r-i-c-o-n-e-y-o-u-t-h dot com buy some music whether it's vinyl digital download whatever uh, just go on there and get some because it's fantastic uh, what else do I need to tell you I don't know I'm so excited about packing and leaving and just getting the heck out of town for a little while getting away from the job getting away from from everything that's here in Georgia and enjoying some time in Orlando, Florida with wacky themed restaurants and fire-breathing dragons and magic wands and butterbeer and flaming mows. Oh, you guys, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Okay. uh, uh Google Mystery Men of Surf, uh, again, morriconeyouth.com. Uh, check out the radio show that was mentioned, uh, which I, it's available online, and I need to check it out, because Devin's done some incredible interviews, I need to listen to those. Uh, you guys, 203 episodes, wacky, 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 I don't even know what to say at this point, because I'm delirious from two days of work, do you know what happened to me? I fell asleep right before 9 o'clock p.m. last night, and then I woke up at like 11, and i've been up since then it's now 7:25 p.m the following day and i've been up since 11 p.m i'm a i'm a little so i need to eat dinner i did this before eating dinner that's how important you guys are i need to eat dinner i need to pack i probably need to go to bed and then go to orlando i love you guys Ennio Morricone. Ennio Morricone.
1: Thank you for listening to the Needless Things Podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vix employee. Love you, mean it. Uh
0: huh.